Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. This is what the Word of God has to say. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a principle that it doesn't matter what endeavor you do, so whether it be academics, the arts, or athletics, this principle is true, and that is you never, ever outgrow your need for fundamentals. Now, I was talking with with one of our coaches here in the church, Tony Wheeler, this morning, and we were talking about this very thing, and I said, you know, the, the reality of it is the, 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 the recognition of the need for fundamentals is a sign of maturity. So, so typically, if you've been coaching a while, you've been teaching a while, you've been doing an activity for a while, the longer you're in that activity or that, 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 uh, that discipline, you become deeper and deeper aware of the need and the importance of fundamentals. Now, if you're brand new, you're, you're just starting out, you, you're, you're tempted to think, all right, I've got the basics, let's move on to something, to something more. But you never outgrow your need for fundamentals. When I began my, my college studies, I began as a vocal performance major. Don't ask me what you do with a vocal performance degree. I still haven't figured that one out. But that's what I started out studying. And so when I went to school, I, I, I began that, the, the, the course the requirements for vocal uh, performance studies. And that required all sorts of things like uh, music theory and music history and ear training and other music-related academic uh, classes. But the thing that was most taxing, at least on my time, were all the performance-related requirements of a degree like that. So in my, my, my week would, would, would include uh, attending multiple recitals per week. And so we had to, we had to re- uh, attend all the faculty recitals, and we had to re- attend all the junior and senior recitals. And so most weeks I had at least three, sometimes four recitals uh, to attend. On top of that, I had a, 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 my secondary instrument that I had to learn. And so that secondary instrument class included recitals for it and, and opportunities performed for that. And, of course, we had our, our primary uh, our instrument. Mine was voice. And so I was in a, a voice studio that required me to go to voice lessons a couple of times a week and then once a week perform for all my peers what I had been been learning. And then, of course, all music majors had to participate in some group activity. So for vocal majors, it was choral-based. We had to be in some choral-based class. And so I attended, uh, I was in the shorter chorale, and that that included a a weekly rehearsal time and then uh, periodic performances. Now, all of the students that I was attending school with in those days came to, to college as freshmen, as accomplished musicians. They had, they had all done great things in high school and beyond. They were all quality and gifted musicians. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been there studying music. But one of the things that I discovered as I was walking through those days was the things that we spent the almost, not almost, but we spent the majority of our time doing was not great, intense, hard music things. It were fundamentals. So I was part of the Shorter Chorale, the, the collection of some of the better musicians there 
when I was there, and we would re rehearse uh, daily for about an hour. But in those rehearsals, you would think we might do some difficult music. You might think we'd start with the hardest pieces that we were working on. But every day when we gathered, we spent 15 to 20 minutes, so almost uh, at least a quarter, if not more, of our time doing vocal warm-ups and scales. Because no matter how far you go in any endeavor, you never, ever outgrow your need for fundamentals. This morning, I want to begin a sermon series just on some basic things about walking with the Lord. Maturity and mastery do not set you free from fundamentals, but it does, they do give you a deeper appreciation for them. So I hope this morning that those of you who've been walking a long time with the Lord, when you hear these words about putting things in your mind and thinking on things that honor the Lord, I hope it just resonates with you as yes, yes. And I hope for some of you who are new to the faith, who are immature in your walk with the Lord, that you'll hear these words as a word of encouragement. Don't grow past these things. Return to these things over and over and over again. I listened to a lot of, uh, I listened to several uh, podcasts that discuss technology of our day, and, and one of the common discussions is on how social media sites successfully draw our attention and keep our attention. Advertisers these days are very interested in how many page views a website or a, page, a, a, a podcast get, but what they really want to know is not how many hits they get, but how engaged are the people that are coming. How, how, how involved are they? So websites not only want to get you there, but they want to keep you there. A website that can keep its visitors engaged can demand much more money from its advertisers than those who just have high hits. And so, as a result of that, social media is investing great fortunes into, um, into, into research and to figure out how you can capture and keep under the attention of those who come to their sites and how they can influence what you're thinking about and the products that you, that you buy. I think that's just a, a recognition that the battle lines for us start with the question of what we give our minds to. Social media is very involved in making sure they can participate in what you give your mind to. And as Paul gives these final instructions to the Philippians, he's reminding them, dear friends, it matters. It matters what you give your mind to, not for politics' sake, not for your mental health's sake, though those are certainly part of it, but for your walk with the Lord's sake. If you don't give your minds to the things that are worthy of God and of the character of God, you will not walk obediently before the Lord. So thinking through this passage, I want, to, I want us to consider these three things this morning. Number one, you must actively guard what has your attention. Where your attention is, you must actively guard what has your attention. Secondly, you must curate what you have, give your attention to. In other words, there are some things you ought to actively say, yes, I'm going to give my attention to this, and actively reject, saying, nope, that cannot have my attention any longer. And then lastly, recognize that actions follow our attention. So where you're giving your attention to today will determine what you give your actions to tomorrow. But let's begin with guarding what has your attention. There is a principle here that whatever has your attention will have your heart. 
Now, this truth goes two ways. What you love will have your attention, and what, your, what has your attention eventually will be what you love. So beginning with the first idea that your attention naturally goes to what you, what you love. Now, that, that's, that's, a, that's a basic principle that we should, we should naturally understand. I, I mentioned that I enjoy listening to podcasts, and I typically do that in the morning when I'm running or walking. And so that's just my, my routine. I get up in the morning, and first thing I do is I head out for a run or a walk. And if I'm by myself, I, I plug my earbuds in, and, and, I, and off I go listen to podcasts. Well, recently, a couple of days ago, uh, Dana joined me. And when she joined me, and I had already been walking for a little while, and so when she, when she got up to me, I, I took out my, 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 uh, my earphones, and she apologized, and she said, oh, I don't want to disturb you. I don't want to mess up your routine. You can put them back in if you want to. Now, do you know what I said to her at that moment? I did not say, oh, you're right. Thank you so much. I'd like to list, finish what I'm listening to. No, I said, absolutely not. If I have to choose between my bride giving my attention to her or some pre-recorded podcast that I can listen to anytime, there's no argument there. I'm choosing my bride because my attention is flowing to what I love. I love her much more than I love listening to some podcast. And so she gets my attention. Your attention naturally goes to what you love. If you have a choice between what you love and what you don't love, you're going to naturally give your attention to what you love. But what's your, what has your attention will eventually be what you love. Now, the command of this passage recognizes that what we give our attention to must be an active decision. So, in other words, this is not, this is not just happening to you. This is what you are choosing to do. There's always a danger to be distracted away from godly and, goodly thing, godly and good things by worldly and worthless things. Sometimes you'll hear me use the words, the worldly trinkets. You know what a trinket is. It's just a little, little cheap something. But a trinket generally has something that's attractive. It won't last. It's cheap. It won't hold up. But it's fascinating. It's interesting for a moment. It captures your attention momentarily. There's always a danger of being distracted away from good and godly things with worthless or temporary worldly things. You, you may say today that you love the Lord. But the question has to be, have you been lured away with the things of the world? You may say today, I am a follower of Jesus and I love Jesus. But the question has to be asked, where has your attention been? What are you giving your attention to? You will give attention to the things you love. And whatever you give attention to will eventually be what you love. So you can say today you love the Lord. But if you've been lured away and giving your attention to something else, eventually you will love that more. Whatever has captured your attention will eventually control and have your heart. You see, because whatever has your attention controls your perspective. Whatever has your attention controls your perspective. So look with me just above what we started reading this morning in verse 7. In verse 7, Paul writes these words, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this, this peace is the result of turning your attention away from the worries of the world and looking to God alone for help and provision. So, look, one more verse up. So, we're backing up to verse 6 here. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. Now, this is a familiar verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That's when he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Now, couple this with the attributes that Paul lists in verse 7 of what we should give our minds to, what we should think on. He says we should think on things that are true and honorable, just and pure and lovely, commendable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The connection between these things is perspective. Do you see things through a worldly lens or do you see things through a godly lens? The, the attributes of verse 7 are attributes of God's character. And when your attention is on the Lord, your focus and thoughts are on how the things around you relate to God. So is this honorable as God honors things? Is this thing lovely as defined by the beauty of God? Is this thing worthy of praise based on the glory and honor and praise due to the living God? Is this thing true based on the truth of God? When your attention is on the things of the world, then your focus and thoughts are on how the things around you relate to the world. So is this thing good and in that it will, will, it, will it make me more money? Is this thing good in that it will give me more pleasure? Is this thing good in that it'll keep me from being bored this five seconds that I'm having to wait in line? Is this thing good as, as whatever the worldly thing around you is? When you think on the things of God, you desire to please God. When you think on the things of the world, you desire to be pleasing to the world. When you think on the things of God, you see things through a godly perspective. And when you think on the things of the world, you see things through a worldly perspective. And so we begin this morning with just the, with the command. You must stand guard over what has your attention. This is an active response. Now, if I could press into you anything, dear friends, listen to me carefully. I think what is happening with many of us is we're not actively, listen to me carefully. You didn't set out last week, three months ago, to say, I'm going to start giving my mind to worldly things. Praise God for that, by the way. But, but you've not been actively participating. You've not been actively um, guarding your attention. And so when something flies by that seems interesting, you go, well, I'll pay attention to that. Or, or something seems urgent, so you pay attention to that. Now, months later, maybe years later, you want to know why your heart's not white hot for Jesus. It's because your attention has slowly but surely been moved away from the glory of God, and you're not thinking on the things of God anymore. Guard what has your attention. Secondly, curate what has your attention. Now, that's an interesting word to use in this context, but what I mean by that is to actively reject what does not honor God. So to curate is to choose and to organize. It, it generally means that there, there is some expertise or knowledge that directs what is chosen and what is not chosen. So a museum has a museum curator who oversees what the museum does and does not put on display. They are the ones who, whatever your museum is, so if you're a museum of paper clips, historic paper clips, the museum curator of the, uh, of the historic paper clips museum says, this clip is worthy of our collection, this clip is not. In 2009 and 2010, my, my seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, purchased with great fanfare, and they announced with great fanfare that a donor had provided for them the ability to purchase some fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, that's a big deal. And if, you're, if you have any connection with biblical archaeology, if you have any connection with biblical history, owning a, a, a fragment of the Dead Sea Scrolls is really big. 
So in 2009, 2010, I mean, there were news articles everywhere. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, donors provided. They, they purchased some fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, they, were, they were supposed to be fragments of Deuteronomy and some of the Psalms. And there's a museum in Washington, D.C., the Museum of the Bible, and they had purchased some of the same, uh, the fragments that were from the same place. And so the, both what the Southwestern had and the Museum of the Bible had were, had the same provenance. So they were coming from the same place, and everybody was excited. But about 10 years later, in 2020, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary announced that, that those fragments were no longer on display, they would not be on display any longer, that they were secured in some nondescript closet on campus. And you have to ask the question, why in the world would Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary not display fragments of the Dead Sea Scroll that they own? Well, the reason was is because those fragments had been discovered to be fake. They were expensive fakes, but they were fakes. And so those who were curating what was on display says, we, even though we spent tons of money on this, we can't display these. They're not real. They don't tell the correct story. And so the curator at the seminary says the only thing they're really worthy of being is in a box, in a closet, where nobody will see them ever again. To curate is to decide what is and isn't worthy. Friends, we ought to start with testing everything that you give your mind to with the question, does this honor God? Now, now, fair warning with what I'm about to say, this is going to mess up a lot of what we do. Okay? But ask this question, does it honor God, what you're watching on TV the movies that you like to watch, the TikToks that you scroll through or you flip through, the YouTube that you watch? Does it honor God, the books that you read, the magazines that you read, the articles that you read? Does it honor God, the things that you listen to, the music that's in your playlist right now? Does that honor God? Does it honor God, the things that you enjoy, games and hobbies and other things? Does it honor God the way you spend time? So does your calendar testify to the glory of God in the way you are giving one of your greatest resources, your time? I think the call here, friends, is to test everything that you give attention to so that you can actively reject what is not God-honoring. The museum curator rejects fakes. And what I think Paul is calling us here is, dear friends, this list that he says is true and honorable and pure. That's the, that's the mark. That's the character of God. That's the test. And if what you're giving your mind to doesn't reach that test, then you must be an active curator of what you give your mind to and reject those things and put them out of your life. Actively reject what does not honor God um, and actively pursue what reflects the character of God. So this is the positive side of this. Now, here's a principle for you. Empty spaces do not stay empty. Empty spaces do not stay empty. If you've got a closet in your house that's full of junk, you go home this afternoon and you go, this is ridiculous. We've got a whole closet. No one knows what's in this closet. We're going to clean it out. Some of you have whole storage buildings full of that stuff. All right, you, you get, you know, this, is, this, this is ridiculous, we're going to clear that. And you clear it out, you sweep it out, and it is spick and span. It is clean. It is devoid of anything. Here's a little word of wisdom for you. You better put something in there. 
You better put some shelves up. You better organize something because if it stays empty, you know what's going to happen to it? I don't know how this happens, but in, in no time flat, it'll fill up. And if I come by to your house and go, hey, I thought you cleaned that out. What's in there now? You'll look at me and go, I don't really know. It just feels, because empty spaces naturally fill up. Now, here's the thing. Either you'll fill them up purposely. In other words, I, these are the things that go. These are the things that don't go. These are the things I want in here. These are the things I don't want in here. Or they will fill up with junk. In other words, you're not paying attention. And so just stuff, you leave it in here today. Now you get, and then at some point, your building, your closet gets so full, it's so unorganized, you're just tossing stuff in from the door. That's when you're in trouble right there. It's filled up, but not purposely, but with junk. Friends, it's not enough just to reject what is not God-honoring. Listen to me carefully. You must actively seek out and, and, and pursue what reflects the character of God. So I would, if you, all you hear me say is that you ought to get rid of stuff in your life, but you don't hear me also say you ought to put righteous, godly things in your life, then you'll, you missed it. Because an empty room will fill up with something. So I'm saying empty out, reject the things that don't honor God, but fill your mind up. Fill your life up with things that do honor God. It may just be, friends, that the reason why your attention is given to so many worthless, godless things is because you've not been giving your mind to godly, worthy things. Actively seek out godly instruction. That's what I think he means when he says whatever is true. Actively seek out godly entertainment. Yes, there is such a thing. That's what I think he means. What is honorable and pure? It's not terrible to be entertained. It's not terrible to, to have your mind entertained, but is the things that are entertaining your mind, things that are honorable and pure. Actively seek out what is good to do with your time and energy, whatever is just and pure. Actively seek out godly beauty to enjoy, whatever is lovely and commendable. Actively seek out godly effort and work, whatever is honorable and commendable. Actively seek out what brings God worship and praise, whatever is worthy of praise, he says. Test everything that you give your attention to so that you can actively reject what is not God-honoring while actively pursuing that which reflects the character of God. Do you understand that principle, friends? It's not just enough to empty out the room. You must actively pursue what is worthy of God. Now, one last thing this morning, and that is that actions follow attention. So to understand this, we got, I want to back up just a little bit further in the passage. So worldly thinking leads to worldly pursuits. In verse 9, Paul encourages the readers of this letter to imitate the example that he, is, he, he has given. And so he, he, his, he says his teaching and instructions. And so whatever you have learned and received... He, he wants them to follow his example, what, have, what, what you have heard and seen in me. So in other words, Paul is encouraging, which is a, a common thing for him to do. Listen, imitate me. Follow after me. Now this is connected to what he had already instructed in a previous verse in chapter 3. So in, in, in chapter 3, verse 17, he instructed the church to imitate him and to watch how he lived before them. Then, in verse, verses, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, he points to those who have given their minds to worldly things as a warning to the church. Listen to what he says. In verse 18, he says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory in, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, in this, Paul is contrasting his instruction to think according to the righteousness of God with those who think and act according to the wickedness of the world. Working backwards then from verse, chapter 3, verse 19, we, we see this progression. Minds set on earthly things will glory in their shame. In other words, th- th- this is a celebration and pursuit of things that do not honor God. Now, sometimes this can be obviously wicked things that you can easily identify, but sometimes this is just things that are private, secret, nobody knows, but you glory in your shame. You take pride and celebration in those things that do not honor God and ought not to bring you excitement. He says there, God is their belly. In other words, they're driven by desire and not the righteousness of God. When I was growing up, we used to say, whenever we talked about really like giving it all to Jesus, we say, even if God calls me to Africa, I'll go. We don't, see, we don't identify Africa as much, but, but, the, but the principle is still the same. Are you willing to sell everything right now and give up everything for the glory of God? That's not just for young folks. Some of you who are early retirees, You've got resources and time and physical ability. Would you be willing to sell it all right now to go give the last few years of your life for the glory of God? Now, some of you right now are thinking, hmm, no. Be careful that you're not driven by desire, that your God is not your belly, rather than the righteousness of God. Paul says their end is destruction. In other words, they have not uh, placed their hope in Christ. They've placed their hope in the things of this world that may bring pleasure temporarily, but eternally it brings destruction. And then he says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they have rejected Jesus. They're not living according to the will of God. Now, most of us would not level that kind of accusation against anyone. An enemy of the cross of Christ? Friends, listen to me carefully here. If you are not living according to the righteousness of Jesus and obedient to his will, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you're opposing the will of God, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. If your God is your desires and so your God is your belly, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you're pursuing worthless, godless things, you're not pursuing the will of God. Friends, if your mind is given to worldly things, your heart, your life, and even your eternity will follow. Worldly thinking leads to worldly pursuits. And of course, the opposite of that is holy thinking leads to godly peace. Paul gives a wonderful phrase in the very last verse that we read, verse 9. He says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a beautiful promise. Now, if you're casually reading through the passage, it would be understandable for you to think that this 
this promise of peace comes from practicing the things that you have, that, that, that you have learned and received and heard and seen in Paul. So as you're reading the, the passage, it, it looks like he's connecting the two. So look with me in your, in, in your, in your Bible. So he says, so uh, verse 9, what, he, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Most of your Bibles probably have a dash there. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So if you're just reading through casually, you might think all those things are connected but actually Paul's instructions to practice these things is parenthetical. So, the, 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 so as a result, the promise in the end of verse 9 is not connected to the beginning of verse 9. It's actually connected to verse 8. Thus the promise is this. Whatever things are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. The point, this is the point. The point is that the blessing of God is connected to our pursuit of God. Listen to me carefully. The blessing of God is connected to our pursuit of God. The peace of God is connected to our obedience to God. More than any previous generation in the history of the world, you and I have more trinkets, more entertainments, more devices that are vying for our attention than ever before. Now, we can complain about it. I don't think there's any going back. But we live in a world today where we don't want to be bored for half a second. What do you do when you stand in line? You pull out that phone, I'll do something, anything, so that you're not bored for half a second. And it seems to me that the amount that as the amount of things that seek our attention has grown, so has the amount of our anxiety and worry. Now, maybe that's just from my limited perspective, but it seems like, friends, that the amount of those who are anxious and worried has been growing exponentially, even as the things that are supposed to give us freedom from boredom have also grown. I think we live in a culture that is being consumed with anxiety. So I don't, think it's, I don't think it's light at all for us to give, we should give a lot of attention to what it means that the God of peace will be with us. Friends, the presence of the God of peace is known when you turn your attention away from the things of this world and turn your attention to the presence of the living God. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God hasn't moved. But the question is, where is our attention? If your attention is on the glory of God, Paul's saying the God of peace will be with you. You will know the God of peace even as the world spins around you in all kinds of disorder. But if you turn your attention away from the God of peace, begin to look at all the things of this world, even the things that seemed interesting and, and attractive, you'll find yourself anxious because you've turned your attention away from the God of peace. So what does that leave us to do this morning? What if right now in your pew... If you were to be honest, you would say, I don't like the things that are flowing out of my life right now. I don't like the, the thoughts that run through my head. I don't like the words that come out of my mouth. 
I don't like the actions that I take when I get frustrated and anxious and stressed. Friends, if you don't like what is flowing out, then you must change what is flowing in. I recently was listening to a interview with a man by the name of Jared Lanier, and I didn't know who that was before I listened to the interview. And probably many of you don't either, but Lanier was, is a computer scientist. He has been working in computer technology world for a very long time. Was, at the, was working in that world even before the internet uh, became a thing, has been participating in that, and, and, uh, and, and really his, 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 his career pedigree goes way, way back. So when you think of all the big things in technology, he was there and participating in some of those things. The reason why I was listening to an interview about him, because he's written a book that's rather scandalous in his world. Uh, the title of his book is 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts. Now, there are a couple of types of people in here. Some of you don't have any social media accounts, and so you're quick to say amen. Then there's other people in here that have them, and you're, you might say amen, but you're not going to delete them because you're not real sure how the world would spin if you don't have Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and Insta, and all the rest on your phone. But here's a guy who developed the code, who developed the infrastructure who understands how these things work. And this guy is the guy saying, you ought to delete them. And he doesn't mean, he's not saying, hey, you ought to just take a little social media vacation, turn them off. He's talking about deleting them and not participating. So I was interested in what he had to say. His fundamental point for why we ought to delete social media is he understands how social media is engineered, and it's engineered to attract and keep our attention. And once they have your attention, the software algorithms, algorithms work to influence your decisions and affect your perspective. And he says, the way they keep your attention is not by driving you toward good and healthy things. The way they keep and draw your attention is driving you toward some really unhealthy emotions and thinking patterns. According to Lanier, the outcomes of this manipulation do not lead to positive results physically, mentally, or spiritually. They lead to some really damaging things. He's likely correct. I imagine that most of us have some sense of the destructive nature and influence of social media that's even had on us. Certainly we can identify the destructive nature it's had on our institutions, like the political um, discussions in our world today and, and connections between uh, groups. Now, it may be new to you and I, social media. That's not been around for very long. But this principle of things that are worldly, capturing our attention, leading to destructive outcomes is not something new. It's always been true. When our minds are consumed with worldly things, they are, they are not consumed with godly things. And when our minds are consumed with godly things, they're not consumed with worldly things. If you don't like what's coming out of your life today, if you understand, if you recognize right now that where you are before the Lord is not where you want to be, it's likely an issue of what's flowing into your mind. What are you thinking on? The admonition of this passage, my encouragement to you this morning is fill your mind with the things of God. Put away the things of the world. 
fill your mind with the things of God and the God of peace will be with you. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.